Well, a popular thing for college students to do in Washington, D.C. was to trick-or-treat along Embassy Row. If you don't know Embassy Row in Washington, D.C., it's these amazing homes that are owned by different countries around the world. And on Halloween, they would have parties and hand out candy and represent their country the best they could. And I was a college student in Washington, D.C., so we would go on Embassy Row and trick-or-treat. And as they would open their homes on these embassies, and we would get different food and different treats from these different countries. Well, embassies do more than just hand out candy. They represent the interest of their country through negotiating with governments, through diplomacy, through events, and through the leaders, many times, of these different embassies, ambassadors. And today we're going to see that Paul is going to use the language of an ambassador for him and also his fellow apostles. And he's going to argue this this morning through this passage, and this is kind of the point of what we're going to argue this morning as we see in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are a part of a new creation. And we are ambassadors of this new creation. A creation where is a reconciliation between God and man. And we as ambassadors are compelled to tell this message. We are part of a new creation. And we are ambassadors of this new place. A place where there's reconciliation between God and man. And we are compelled to tell the good news of this reconciliation. Well, let's look, shall we, what the scripture says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. It's printed in your worship guide. Please pay attention as we look at God's word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. You're just joining us. Welcome. We've been going through this second letter of uh, a letter to the church in Corinth, and it is a complicated relationship between Paul and this church, a church that he planted. And there's been lots of correspondence between him and this church in Corinth, and it's always not been the best. We know there's been a harsh letter. We know there's been a severe visit. We know it has not been easy. And in fact, just before this passage, 
we see that people in the community and that know Paul are saying that he's not in his right mind. Why might they say that Paul is not in his right mind? Well, one, they might be saying he's not in his right mind because this was one that used to be Saul. That killed Christians. And he used to look down on the message of Jesus. But now he's spreading the good news of Jesus and planting churches. What is going on? This man is not in his right mind. Also, many thought that Paul was carried away with his emotions, with his pleas, with his caringness, with his passion for the church, that people might have thought he is out of his right mind because he was so emotional. Also, people might have thought he was out of his right mind because the suffering that he kept on enduring, that he still travels through the Roman Empire facing prison, beatings, even close to death, but he still keeps going. This guy is not in his right mind. Maybe they don't think he's in his right mind because the very truths that he teaches, he believes in the resurrection, that Jesus resurrected from the dead, that as Christians, we also will have resurrected bodies. And this is what he's teaching. This guy is not in his right mind. Despite what people say about him and what they think about him, in this part of the letter, he decides he's still going to persuade them. Persuade the church, persuade others that this gospel message is true. He says, Others, they seem to look on the outside, these super apostles that look at the recommendations they get, the rhetoric that they use, the money that they receive. Instead, he says, I look at the heart. He's compelled to share this message. And you see, the culmination of the gospel is most clearly synthesized here in verses 16 through 21 in this letter. You might wonder, why does Paul seem compelled to share again? He's already planted this church. He's already sent many letters to them. He's already talked to them and lived with them. Why does he need to share it again? It might be that they are not having a full understanding of what the gospel is. And he feels like he needs to be able to make it clear to them that they are not persuaded by these false apostles that share a false gospel, that he would share clearly what the gospel is. I wonder if some of us think that Christianity is out of its mind, and those that proclaim the message or live by it are out of their minds. It's kind of a hard thing to think nowadays where churches are in, our, in every corner. We're here, we live in the Fox Valley where it seems like everyone has been baptized in their life. It's a message that is very familiar. I wonder if we're inoculated by Christianity because it's so prevalent and permeates our culture. Rather than realizing this message is talking about a new creation, reconciliation, 
a way to look totally different at the world. That it is a radical message. Now, some might say, don't say things like that, Pastor, right? You don't want to scare people off. Don't look weird. I brought my friend today, okay? Right? Watch yourself. Don't frighten people, right? But I do wonder if we need to share it again. That it needs to be said again to us. And if we really hear it, we realize what a radical message this is. Last week, we saw the resurrected body. We saw the way that we are eternal beings. And that while we're not there yet in the resurrected body, there is a longing and a groaning in this state until Christ comes again and there is a new heavens and a new earth. In the passage today, Paul is going to talk about what we experience now. What do we have as Christians now? Not this groaning and longing and waiting, but what is what we experience here as followers of Christ? He does that by giving us three word pictures in the beginning of this passage. One, you'll see in verse 16 and 17, from now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. See, the flesh is a way that you could look at things in a worldly way. The flesh is a way of seeing that all there is is Basically, the physical world, there's nothing outside of us. There's nothing higher. There is no judgment. The body is not eternal. And this is really a shot against the bow of the super apostles, who again looked at what was on the outside, letters of recommendation, outward appearance, rhetorical flourish. But instead, Paul is saying, that way of looking at people or looking at the world is shallow. It looks at external means. It looks at what people can do for you. Paul is saying, we don't look at that. Instead, we see that people are not just according to the flesh, but they are eternal beings. They are spiritual, created in the image of God. I wonder if you see that in people when you interact with them. When you are sitting at Woodman's or at Pick and Save or wherever someone bags your groceries, you look at this person that bags your groceries and you simply think they're not simply a means to an end, but instead they have been crafted by God. They are eternal beings. That there is a greater reality than just this person putting my eggs in this bag. And that is seems what compels Paul to love and bear with these people. That there is a greater reality at play in them. An eternal reality. You see, that carries over, ultimately, to Christ. Not simply a carpenter from Nazareth. 
Not simply what Paul, who used to be Saul, used to think about Jesus, the historical Jesus, as some people call it. Our age thinks that Jesus is maybe just simply a good teacher, a wise sage that said good things. No, Paul's saying, if you look at Jesus in that way, it's the carnal way. No, this is the Son of God, resurrected from the dead, that now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He has changed all of humanity because he has conquered death. You see, we can look at people not in the flesh because we don't look at Jesus as the flesh. We see the way that he is the new man. The new Adam has broken into creation to show us that we are eternal too. The first image, according to the flesh. The second image is this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Greek is just very kind of bold and just bang, it hits you right like that. It's basically this, in Christ, new creation. Paul's arguing if you're united with Christ, you have been made totally new. This is creation language that seems Paul uses throughout this letter, 2 Corinthians earlier, he said, light out of darkness, right? That makes us think of Genesis, and now he uses other Genesis language of a new creation, This isn't simply a tweaking. This isn't simply simply a molding. No. If you belong to Christ, you're united with him. The new has come. You are radically changed. And the old is gone. I love how Paul uses the word anyone. I had a sense he's probably talking about himself. Even me. Right? Even one that used to murder Christians. Even I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And that probably answers some of their objections. Why should we listen to this guy, what he used to do? Because I have been radically changed. And I have been recreated in Christ. I'm the youngest in my family. You know the pain of being the youngest, right? Beatdowns. Right? From your older brother. My brother's 10 years older than I was. And also that your older siblings got to do things that the youngers didn't. Right? We hear that a lot in our house, don't we? And so my brother, on the weeknights, you know, Friday night, he would go out and, and go to different events and things like that. And I was sad. I wanted to hang out with my brother. And he would be out doing his thing. But on some Saturday mornings, I would wake up, and my brother would take all the blocks that I owned, and he would create these amazing, like, buildings in the middle of my room. And he would put all my different army men or Star Wars figures all over it. Sometimes he would take the old Dixie cups, you know, those water cups you'd have. We collected all of these. We kept them. And he would create these giant Dixie cup pyramids in the middle of the room. And here's the thing. He did it in the middle of the night when I was asleep. And he came home and he would create this. And I would wake up in the morning and there would be this creation. 
because I belonged with my brother, I got to experience the new creation. And he would come down later in the morning and he would play with me as we would have these beautiful things that he made. You know, if you belong to Christ, you can wake up to something new. You can be done with being enslaved by trying to please others, by anger, by trying to win, by trying to control things. You can see the world totally new because you can be united with Christ and he will come down on your level with you and show you the way that he's created you and made you new on your floor. You do not have to be alone. The flesh, new creation. And then this other word that seems to be used over and over again, hasn't been used before this. Here it is, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, in Christianity, we use certain words over and over again. They just kind of lose their meaning. Words to explain what's been done. How God has um, basically come into this world and saved us. How do we explain that? And throughout the epistles, there's different language used to try to explain that. One word that's used, and I use this in my community group, what image do you get when you see these words? What setting are you in? One word that's used is justification. And we think about justification, we think about justice, and we're in a courtroom. When we think of words like sanctification, to be sanctified, it puts us in a place of worship. Then I asked my community group, when you think of the word reconciliation, what do you think of? One person in the group blurted out right, right away, a counseling office, right? It's well said. Reconciliation is people coming back together, that there's peace. It's a family. People that were alienated and separated, that there seems to be now a reconciliation between the two. And that is what Paul is trying to give us an image of. There was a break. There was no peace between God and man because of our sin. And now there is a reconciliation. There is people coming back together. Eric Keelish in our group gave us a really great picture of what that looked like. When Eric used to go to church in Virginia, there was a man that so he was going, he's called to go to China to be a missionary. His wife divorced him because of this decision. And he ministered in China for many, many years. And while he was there, he continued to pray that there would be reconciliation between him and his wife. And Eric was there at the church in Virginia when there was a ceremony where this man and his wife got remarried 
after many, many years. And now their adult daughter was there too. And there wasn't a seat in the house. The church was full. A shofar was blown. There was celebration. Eric did a good job of expressing the emotion that it was to be in that place to see that. Imagine a picture of that reconciliation. Now imagine it to the greatest degree. Where there is a reconciliation between us and God. Think about the celebration in heaven when we are restored back to our creator. That celebration in Virginia pales in comparison to what is happening in heaven when we are restored to a relationship with God. It's amazing when we start to see the world in this way. You know, when you sit in the scriptures like this, you start to, okay, how is this real? Yesterday, I had the opportunity to drive down to Milwaukee for a volleyball tournament with a father of one of the players on my team. He has a thick accent. He's from Norway. And he knows I'm a pastor. And he told me about his father who was in the Norwegian Navy. His dad had realized the drinking and the womanizing was not going well. In one of the ports he was at, a pastor gave him a Bible. And he started reading the Bible. And he was in Christ. New creation. Totally changed. He became a missionary in Argentina and Honduras and all over South America and Central America. And here, now I sat next to his son. Not just a parent of a volleyball player, but my brother in Christ. And we talked about the pain that he'd been experiencing. I will not go into it. But I'll just say this. Do you see what we can start seeing in people? What can happen to people? That here a pastor giving a Bible to a Norwegian sailor that now I sit next to his son talking about the pain in his life and how God is starting to bring peace with him and his family. Reconciliation. And here's the thing that Paul does. He says that we are now part of this new creation, this new world, this new place. And we are messengers of it. Ambassadors of this new reality. The word picture that he gives is the idea of being a king's subject in a foreign place. Speaking for the king. That's what an ambassador is. Speaking for the interests of the land to the people in that foreign place. 
And Paul is saying, you've doubted my authority, church in Corinth. You have questioned who I am. Hear me, I am the ambassador of reconciliation, communicating to you the message of this new kingdom. The very word is actually presbytos, where we get the word elder, where we get the word Presbyterian, and the way it's constructed here, it's used as ambassador. Paul and the apostles have been given a special role. Some argue it's just a role to them, but I believe that the role has been given to us in the sense that we too proclaim the message of reconciliation. You know, if you've been to Washington, D.C., and you've seen these really, really pretty houses on Wisconsin Avenue and in DuPont Circle and north of town, you might not realize those are the embassies. Beautiful, probably some of the beautiful, most pretty houses in all of the city. And the parties that are thrown there, diplomats that come, dignitaries from our government that they invite into those homes to win them over, to show them their nation and why they should care about the interests of that nation. What picture can we bring of the kingdom that we belong to, of this new creation? What does Paul bring? This guy that they think is weird, this guy that they think is emotional, this guy that is beaten, this guy that is weak, what does Paul show of a new kingdom and a new creation? He shows that God has radically changed him and that he loves them even when they question him. He bears with them and cares for them and longs for them. He shows them that. What do we try as a church? What should we be? How should we lure the target market of our age? How do we get millennials to be here, right? How do we get Gen Z to continue to enjoy church? Maybe we should give them cars. You know, some churches have done that. TVs, iPads. Maybe we just give stuff out that will attract young people to come. There was a recent survey asking millennials and Gen Z why they don't come to church. And only 8% said it's because the church is not hip enough. This is what one millennial said. You can be dazzled by a light show at a concert on any given weekend. But the church is the only place that fills a sanctuary with candlelight and hymns on Christmas Eve. You can snag all sorts of free swag for brand loyalty online. But the church is the only place where you are named a beloved child of God. You can share food with the hungry at any homeless shelter, but only the church teaches that a shared meal 
brings us into the very presence of God. What are we doing here? I preach long sermons. This building in the winter is cold. In the summer, it's hot. I don't know if you noticed that. We don't have a t-shirt cannon. We don't show videos. What do we have? What can we give? I don't know if you know this, but the very vision of our church comes from this passage. A people together reconciled by grace and by grace reconciling what is broken. What do we give? We are transformed by Christ into a new creation. We have tasted his goodness and we live in his grace and now we live with each other in this. That in our weaknesses, in the ways that we hurt each other, in sin against each other, because that's what happens in the church, that we can show God's power, that we can forgive one another and bear with one, one another. That we show each other that we are a new creation because what Christ has done in us. That's greater than any giveaway. That's greater than any fog machine or any performance or anything to be given. No, we have been part of a new kingdom. And we get to show people how God has changed us and made us into new creations. I don't even know this, but this passage is all a build-up to verse 21. Paul is saying, yes, the message of this reconciliation has been given to me, and now I make an appeal. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's a passive use of that word. It's not you reconcile yourself. It's instead receive the reconciliation from God. You receive God's offer. You do not go. Do not simply reconcile yourself. No, God has reconciled you. Now you have to receive this. And then in verse 21, he lays out that offer in the most clearest way I think he does in all of the epistles in verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have not understood the gospel or understand what the good news of Jesus is, there it is, and let me explain it to you very clearly. Christ has taken our sin upon himself on the cross, and he has given us his righteousness 
so that we might be in a relationship with God. It's the great exchange. We did not deserve it. He gave it to us. Nothing of ourselves. It is of him only. If anyone tells you that your works will save you, that your righteousness will save you, have not read verse 21. Our sin has been imputed to Christ, given to him. His righteousness has been given to us. The only way that we have a right relationship with God is by Christ's righteousness given to us. That is good news. I don't think many of us sit around and listen to ambassadors. I don't think many of us know ambassadors personally. But over the past two weeks, you probably heard some ambassadors talking. Especially Ukrainian ambassadors, right? They're everywhere. I don't even know that. They're making pleas everywhere for their nation. They're all over the place pleading. One of the major places you make pleas as an ambassador is at the United Nations. And the Ukrainian ambassador to the United Nations on the day Russia declared war on Ukraine sat in front of the members of the UN. And this is the simple thing he did. He opened the charter of the UN, like their constitution. And he read it to them. Membership to the UN is open to all peace-loving states who are willing and able to carry out these obligations. Then he sat and he paused. And he said to the UN, Russia is not able to carry out these obligations. Here is one that is an ambassador to the new kingdom. And this is what he says. You have rebelled against God. Membership is open to all who have lived a righteous life. No one, no one here has done it except Christ himself. Here is our charter. Here is our message, ambassadors. Here it is. If this world wants reconciliation, if humanity wants the end of war, if we want a new kingdom, if we want a new creation, you need to be reconciled to Christ. That is the kingdom that we live for. That is one that we have tasted and we have seen. We are part of that new creation. Church, let us be an embassy of it. To those that we love in our neighborhoods, those at our jobs, those that we encounter, 
Let us be ambassadors of the message of reconciliation.